Welcome back to Worldview Matters. If you were here last week, you may recall that uh, we were camped out to some degree outside of the Sistine Chapel in the, uh, in the Vatican, talking about some pretty heady things relative to worldview. And I've got the perfect guy to be talking about that, my cohort, Bob. Bob, so good to be with you. Glad to have an opportunity to sit at your feet and listen to some of these things that you'll use to teach not only our listeners, but me. Well, Ross, it's always fun to talk about these things with you. And as we've said before, worldview affects everything in life. It doesn't just affect how we live. It affects art. It affects music. It affects politics. It affects history. It affects philosophy and theology and economics. Everything everything in life is touched by worldview. And everything, in a sense, is an expression of and an extension of worldview. And what we were talking about in our last show, if our listeners didn't get a chance to hear that, we were talking about about Raphael, the uh, the Florentine painter, the Renaissance painter, who's got several works hanging in the Vatican. One is in the Apostolic Palace, which is a fresco, one of four frescoes, actually, that he, uh, he created for the Apostolic Palace. But the one we were talking about is one that's called the School of Athens. It's a classic rendition of two great worldviews, the worldview of Aristotle, who is the picture, the figure depicted on the right of the of the fresco, and the worldview of Plato, who is the, the figure depicted there in the center left of the fresco. And as we talked about last time, Aristotelian worldview really laid the foundation, Ross, for a lot of the naturalism, uh, the naturalistic worldview, the fact that unless something is material, it's not real. In fact, materialists say the only thing that really is real is what we can we can measure what we can we can scientifically look at and so the cosmos as Carl Sagan used to say the cosmos are eternal the cosmos is eternal God's not eternal the cosmos is eternal and uh, a billion years from now the cosmos will still be eternal whether the cosmos is is in the form of energy or matter, it will still be eternal. Uh, Plato, on the other hand, taught that there was something outside the material world. There was a spiritual realm out there. Uh, And when Plato talked about the spiritual realm, he wasn't talking necessarily about God as creator, as theists understand the spirit world to be, but he was talking about an invisible realm. And as we talked about last time, Platonic philosophy, Platonic worldview, really was the basis for a lot of Eastern, the Eastern worldviews, the monism of uh, Hinduism and uh, uh, a lot of the Eastern uh, philosophies, and also forms the basis for a lot of the New Age movement. And so here we have in this one piece of art hanging in the Vatican, we have these two great worldviews that have really shaped the worldviews of the whole earth ever since then. Amazing, isn't it? It's really interesting that as a, as a Christian theist, we believe that in, in essence, the things that we can touch and feel will go away, but the spirit world that we will live in will exist forever. Whereas the opposite was the Aristotelian view that there was nothing that existed outside the material world, right? 
You're exactly right. And it's interesting that you talk about Christian theism in the context of this painting, in the context of this fresco, in the context of Raphael as an artist, because, Ross, there's another, there's other works of art by Raphael in the Vatican that really depict a Christian theistic worldview. In fact, uh, uh, not far from where this fresco is, uh, is on the wall, there is a, another work of art by Raphael. It's a little bit later. It's about five years later. It was commissioned by Leo X, uh, the Pope, Pope Leo X. And it's, it's actually not, it, it's an art piece by Raphael, but it's actually a tapestry which was done from a piece of art that Raphael uh, created. That particular piece of art is hanging in the, uh, in the Victorian Albert Museum, but the tapestry that was made from that piece of art is in the Vatican in the Sistine Chapel. They hang these often right below the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, which was Michelangelo's great work, as you know. But we have these pieces of Raphael, and one of those is the Apostle Paul in the Areopagus in Athens. And how amazing that within a few feet of each other, actually, you have these great classical worldviews, Aristotle and Plato. And not far from there, you have Christian theism depicted where Paul is actually debating in the Areopagus there in Athens, debating the Epicureans, and he's debating the Stoics. Uh, and of course, this is from a, a passage in Scripture in Acts chapter 17. But isn't it amazing how we see art imitating or art being depicted uh, in worldviews and vice versa? You know, I know that because you and I are friends, I do know that you made quite a study of this. And it's something that I guess when I first heard you talking about it, I thought, wow, what difference does that make? But what it does do, it, it ties together. It shows us where worldviews were at that time and the tension within the world over these worldviews, no different than the tension in the world today. And there's similar viewpoints carried out and held by other segments of society. Uh, but it's, it is a very intriguing study. Give me a couple of ideas. Give our listeners a couple of ideas of what you see to be the importance of looking at looking at these things, these things of uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, as it relates to us today. Well, you're exactly right in saying that worldviews stirred up trouble back then, in the same way that worldviews often stir up trouble today. In fact, in the in the uh, in the piece by Raphael that the tapestry was made from. It's a depiction of Paul in the Areopagus in Athens. And anybody who knows anything about history or, or uh, who studied uh, the New Testament in the Scriptures, know this is a passage from the book of Acts in chapter 17 where Paul shows up in Athens. He'd just been stoned a couple of cities before that, but he shows up in Athens, and as was Paul's custom, he would go throughout the city and try to engage people in conversation. And he ends up in the Areopagus, which was a place that the philosophers of the Athenian world could debate various ideas. In fact, that's what they did in the Areopagus. And Paul steps up and says, I noticed that you people in Athens are very religious. You've got all kinds of idols and temples 
devoted to various gods. I haven't noticed that you've got one particular idol that is devoted to an unknown god. And Paul launches from there into talking about the God who made the heavens and the earth. And he talks about that. And the Athenians, those who followed Aristotle and those who followed Plato, began to debate him. But what we realize is that Paul is talking about something decidedly different from Aristotle or from Plato. In fact, what Paul was saying is basically you're both right and you're both wrong. The extra, Paul says the external world is real, but that's not all there is. There's an invisible world also. And he says in, in his passage there in Acts 17 that the external world points to a creator, who's all-powerful. And we can know that there is this creator God by looking at what he's been made. Ross, we, we talked about that some in one of our former shows, how uh, in Romans 1, Paul makes the point that uh, people can realize that there is a God from looking at the external world and seeing all the order and the beauty uh, uh, that's made in, in, in within nature. Well, part of the Christian the Christian apologetic has to do with this order, with the second law of thermodynamics, with the principle of logic. Now, when you talk about logic, though, you put in conflict uh, the Eastern view and the Western view because the Western viewpoint is a logical one. The Eastern viewpoint says, hey, it doesn't really matter. You know, if we in the West say that two things that are that are different uh, can't both – if you say that two things are – the viewpoints are different, they both can't be right. They both can be wrong, but they both can't be right. For example, I believe that Christ is the way to heaven. Now, someone who believes that Christ is not the way to heaven, it, the law of non-contradiction says that both of us can be wrong, but both of us can't be right. And in the East, they say, sure, I, I believe anything and everything that you believe. There's just a, there's an add to it, even though they may be in contradiction or in conflict with each other. So when you begin to look at Eastern or Western viewpoints, uh, you have to understand that, that their worldview is different from this, from that perspective. Well, you're exactly right. And that's what Paul does in this passage in Acts. He basically takes the things that are true of an Aristotelian worldview and the things that are true of a Platonic worldview, and he blends them together into this other worldview, a worldview that says God did make the world. The external world does have meaning, but there's also an invisible spiritual world. The world is more than just stuff, if you will. There are invisible things as well, and yeah, there's an internal moral compass and every one of us at points of this creator. But then Paul does something else at the Areopagus that's incredibly amazing. And as you said, it gets him in trouble. What he says was that God has made himself known through the created order and through the internal moral compass of man, but he's also made himself known through a man, a man who God raised from the dead. And uh, boy, when Paul says that, the Areopagus just erupts in debate. People back and forth are arguing, whoa, he just talked about raising people from the dead. Some of the people said thought he was insane when he said that. And so here again, we're 
back to the same idea that the resurrection is a lightning rod. It was a lightning rod in the first century. It's a lightning rod in the 21st century. Well, if you, it really is a key matter. I know I've talked to a number of people about faith in Christ and witness to them. And, and the, you can argue about a lot of things, but I said, if, if it comes down to one issue, if Christ was raised from the dead, can you dismiss the possibility that he was who he says he was, the son of God? And I have not had anybody to say that doesn't make any difference. They have to say that does make a difference and would make a difference if I could come to believe that. Well, that's exactly the, the intent that Paul made. In fact, I'm reading here from the scriptures in Acts 17. This is verse uh, 24. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. He goes on then in verse 27 and says, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And then he quotes one of their own poets. He says, that's what some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. And then he makes this incredible, amazing statement in verse 31. He says, for God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's talking about Christ. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now, Paul's talking to a secular audience. He's talking to people who understood that something happened in Palestine a decade or so or more before that literally shook the world. And uh, it shook their Areopagan world when he said it, and it's still shaking the world today. Because God said, I did this as evidence, as evidence that I am who I say I am. And he also says he does it so that people can reach and find out to him. Now, Ross, that's a worldview statement because there's some things that we can't know empirically, but we can know by God making them known to us if we're willing to reach out and find him. There's the invitation from the Creator. Will you reach out and find me? Will you reach out and search for me? Will you, will you ask me to make myself known to you? Ross, as I've told you before, that's what I, what I did as a student at Columbia. I'd come to realize the bankruptcy of all the worldviews that were taught at Columbia, uh, the worldviews of the humanities and the Western civilization naturalism. But I came to believe because I reached out to the creator God and said, are you real? Are you who you say they are? Of course, he made himself real to me in a dorm room on Broadway and 116th Street. Amazing change of life for me. Bob, as you say, there is enough evidence. There's enough fact. There's enough data. There's enough tactile information to bring someone right to the precipice or right to the doorway of belief.
But there is that necessity that we reach out, that we accept by faith. There is not enough out there to force a belief on someone. And, and herein lies another tremendous thing about the Christian faith. You look at it, for example. If you're born into that system, it, that religion is forced upon you. If you don't believe it, look at what's happening in Iran and Persia today and the Christians that they have in jail because they will not accede to the demands or the viewpoint of Islam. But in Christianity, you do have a free will. There is evidence. It brings you right to the precipice of, of belief, but you've got to step out in that faith to have that belief come to fruition and Christ come into your heart. And, and here's the thing, Ross, that Paul says to the area to the Athenians and at the Areopagus and he says it through the scripture it's not that there's not evidence enough there is there's ample evidence he cites the evidence of creation and he cites the internal evidence of our hearts and then he cites the evidence of the resurrection he says the reason that men can't believe in Christ regardless of what culture they were raised in it's not that they there's not evidence available. It's that we suppress the truth because it's inconvenient. It's it requires that we give up control of our lives to our Creator when we do that. But he also says something else. Paul does. He says that there's a being, an invisible God, if you will who also has blinded the eyes of those who don't want to act on the evidence that's available to them. And that's a very frightening proposition. Let me summarize. Yeah. Paul says, God's given us enough evidence. This is what Raphael uh, said, uh, or basically was saying, Paul was saying in the Areopagan tapestry, there's enough evidence. There's evidence in creation. There's the internal evidence of our moral compass. And there's the external evidence of Christ's resurrection. It's not that we can't believe. It's that people refuse to believe because it's inconvenient. It's, it goes against, it cuts against the grain, of, the grain of pride. That's what we do when we suppress the truth. And when we suppress it, it opens the door for us being deceived. Paul mentions that in Colossians chapter 2. Our readers, I'd go back and just invite you to read Colossians 2, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 10, where he talks about God's mystery is able to be known, but the God of this world can take people captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. So it's not that there's not enough evidence but it's that the evidence is contrary to our human hubris and our pride. We don't want to give into it because we're proud. You know, you said three things here. If you, the belief system or how, what is, what kind of evidence do we have? And you mentioned three things, the creation. And I think the creation itself or the, the, the creation of the universe, but also I think about the creation of a human. You think about the process of conception and birth, and you think about if you look at your hand and you look at 
the way it operates. And you, you can't reproduce that. There's no way that it can be built to do exactly what the hand does. And you can go through in the eye and the kidney and how all these things fit together. But it's the creation, and it's the smaller creation of an individual. And then the second thing is the moral compass that's within us. We know when it's right and we know when it's wrong quite often. Now, also, God will give us over to a reprobate mind, and that's what he says in Scripture. So there's a point in time when he says, you know, you've rejected me so many times. Go on your own way. And then the third thing is the resurrection. And there is, there's ample evidence of the resurrection, not just in Scripture, but in other writings that Jesus did, was raised from the dead on the third day. So interesting, creation, moral compass, resurrection, the evidence that gives us enough faith to step out. And you know, Ross, we we don't want to leave our listeners with the idea that it's all just intellectual, tactile information. It's, It's ultimately an orientation of our heart. Worldview is something that we believe intellectually, but it's also something that begins with our heart. There's a there's a great promise embedded in the Gospels when Jesus says, uh, "Father, I thank you that you've hidden all these things." He calls he calls his Father the Lord of heaven and earth. This is Matthew eleven verse twenty five. He says, "I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth." because you've hidden these things. What things? The truth about God and his world. You've hidden these things from the proud. It says the wise and the learned, but you've revealed them to little children. I don't Mm. think he's talking about about chronological age there, Ross. I think he's talking about humility of heart. He's talking about people who are willing to reach out and and embrace the things that God has revealed about himself. Those three things you mentioned, the the creative evidence, the moral compass evidence, and the evidence, the special revelation that God's given through his son throughout history, specifically in the resurrection. Mm. If people are just willing to, in their hearts, say, God, I want to know you. God says he'll make himself known to them, and their worldview will suddenly make all the sense that they want for it to make for them. Mm. What a promise. What a promise. Well, Bob, we are close to out of time. Um, Maybe we could tell our listeners whether we are going to pick this up at this point and continue, because I know that there's a great deal more we can talk about in connecting uh, worldview positions and some of these things from historic past with today. But um, any any closing comments you would have for our listeners as we exit today? Well, I think there's another great passage in 2 Corinthians 4 that I would just leave with our listeners. Uh, and this again, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, by setting forth the truth plainly, pa- Paul didn't stumble He wasn't trying to trick anyone. He says, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. He's asking, basically appealing to the fact that, hey, search your heart and see if things aren't really true. And then he says this, and even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, 
who's the image of God. What a powerful statement the Apostle Paul made that God's willing to show himself. He showed himself in the person of Christ. Uh, Christ was God as a human. Come to earth to rescue us. Come to earth to show us the way uh, back into a, a right relationship with God. And what a wonderful invitation that is. Every one of us, Ross, are looking for reality. And that reality is found in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And I can testify from my own life that he's never disappointed me. There have been times he didn't do things exactly like I wanted him to do them, but he's always done things better than I ever imagined. And Ross, I know that you can say the same thing. We haven't lived uh, lives that don't have trouble associated with them. We both have seen our share of trouble. But in the midst, even of all that trouble, there's been a hope and there's been a purpose that gives even that trouble great meaning and great context and great perspective. Amen. Amen. Someday, I think, Bob, it'd be uh, great for you to to tell your life story. That, that life story is one that has touched many, many people. And I know that our listeners would love to hear that. We'll find a time to insert that into one of our shows. Uh, before we leave, I'd like to encourage our readers, our listeners, to consider one thing. As you know, um, Margaret Thatcher was buried uh, in the past weeks. And it's interesting if you would go and listen to an excerpt from her funeral. Her granddaughter, who lives in Texas, was a part of that funeral, and she read from Scripture. And, and the reading of that Scripture passage about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness and in, in high places. And it was such a meaningful, impact message in that full reading that I think our listeners and readers would get a great deal out of if they would go listen to that. All you have to do is to Google Thatcher's granddaughter, Thatcher's granddaughter, and it'll come up because it's all over the all over the web right now. It's very much worth your while to listen to that. Bob, great being with you again. Thank you to all the people at Big Brains Media again, James and JP and all the great shows. Go to Big Brains Media and see there's got to be two or three shows that will fit your liking, and I believe you'll enjoy in the, listening to all of these and the, the new ones that are being added all the time. Thanks again, Bob forward to talking with you next week my friend you too ross god bless this has been worldview matters brought to you by Big Brains Media. To leave feedback for Ross or Bob, visit us at www.bigbrainsmedia.com.